memorable, I hope. Uh, in the South, uh, when we're going over to have uh, Christmas dinner with Grandma or whoever, uh, we usually bring something with us, potato salad or banana pudding, and we just put it all together and, and eat. Did you hear about the lady in Great Britain, a grandmother who had fed the family for years and years, taking care of everything, and she started a new tradition this year. She started to charge everyone $45 a head, and uh, I don't know that made her real popular, but I think she got her uh, point across. Our uh, scripture this morning is found in the book of James in the fourth chapter. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 13 uh, through 17. Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is life your amidst it appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will. We live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it is sin. Father, we are such uh, self-reliant uh, creatures uh, some of us firstborns have a plan for everything. But Lord, in reading this scripture, we recognize that we don't even know exactly what tomorrow holds. But we want to rejoice in the day knowing that you hold time. You see past, present, and future. In the midst of that grand and divine view, you see us and you know us by name. And I would pray today for your church that you would encourage and, Lord, equip for the work of ministry. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. There are some people who seemingly have a plan for their whole lives. How many firstborn children in here would you raise your hand? We are note-takers. We are list makers, and if we don't get our agenda done during the day, we are not fulfilled. How many third-born children? You just go with the flow. You're the happiest people in the world. They actually did some astronaut training one time, and they put a group of uh, people together, first-born children, and put a paper in the middle of the floor, and they took second- and third-borns and did the same thing. The first-born children had picked up the paper within a nanosecond. The others, the paper was still there. They were talking and having a great time. The Bible says in Proverbs, and I've been in Proverbs probably for about the last two weeks. It really has helped me in thinking about this message. And that message really kind of goes around God's will, determining God's will. Now, that's a struggle for most of us. We question Sometimes, am I in God's will? Should I go this way? Should I go that way? Proverbs 16, 11 says, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purposes that prevail. There are people on the other end of the spectrum that are not 
planners, and, and, and planning is important. I believe it's important to have a vision. I think it's important to know uh, where we're going from here. But there are some people that are so paralyzed with fear today that they're not willing to step out in, in faith. And everything seemingly has to be comfortable around them before they take that step. And we can get paralyzed in fear and inactivity. And really, when it comes down to it, we just really don't trust God. I really don't know, God, if you're in this or, you know, I, 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 think, uh, I think I'll just wait. It's like uh, the fellow who fell off of the cliff and he was hanging on by a branch and he was screaming. Someone help me, please. And all of a sudden, there was the voice of God that said, Let go, my child. And the guy replied, Is there anybody else up there? Sometimes God says, Let go. And we rationalize, Well, if I let go, it's not safe. Everything that I have seen in life of major movements of God have not been safe taking smaller congregations and, and, and seeing larger vision. And how do we get there? Where do you want us to be, Lord? How do we affect the community? It's very, very important. And many times those steps weren't logical or practical. But, you know, God doesn't necessarily work off of logic, does he? he he's asked people in Scripture to do some things that are almost pretty crazy. James talks about an enduring faith. Some people don't particularly like the book of James because he's in our face. He actually gives us some do's and don'ts, and we don't necessarily like to be told what to do, but, but he's there, and he wants us to have a, a constant faith, an abiding faith, resting on God's guidance for our present and for our future. As a leader in the church of Jerusalem, he had to deal with many issues, and one that he was dealing with was the scattered Jewish Christians that had scattered amongst 12 tribes. And uh, days were not easy for those that had left the orthodoxy of the faith and Judaism and entered in to become followers of the way. Uh, they lost their inheritance. They lost their comfort. Uh, they lost family. And he's talking to a people that are probably questioning, did I really make the right decision? I noted in the news uh, this week that I think 11 of our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, were martyred uh, overseas. And we're recognizing that persecution is rising within the world against Christianity. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, uh, but you know what? The blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church. And God drives us out of comfort into his arms many times, recognizing no matter how we try to protect ourselves, it all is just not going to work in that rabbit hole. We need divine protection. We need divine providence. And, and, and James warns about friendship with the world. And as John also in First John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I know there's a gospel of prosperity and if you come to Christ, everything is going to come up roses. But that's not the faith I read about in the New Testament. It's the faith of come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Or as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, grace is costly. When Christ 
calls a man, he bids him come and die. So in that sense, I'm excited because persecution drives us out of the foxhole into the world to season the world. Every once in a while, uh, and if you hear about uh, uh, the northern part of the city burning down, I'm burning these days, and every once in a while, sparks uh, kind of hit something, and sparks go all different directions. And what, what happens when that sparks go all different directions in the woods? You can catch fire pretty quick. One time I was clearing land in the Appalachian chain. I had property up there and it got away from me and it went 360 in all directions. And I saw the, the headlines in the Winston-Salem Journal, Minister Burns Down Blue Ridge Parkway. But as sometimes we are pressured, the church scatters. And that's what happened in Jerusalem. It was God's plan. They could have clumped in Jerusalem and had the first church of Jerusalem. But God wants us to be salt and light and perfume in society. So James directly addresses trials and testing, and he encourages, and I want to encourage you this morning. 2019 has been a difficult year for some of you. Uh, I, I pray for you. When I hear prayer requests and our prayer times, or when I hear you speak, I pray for you. And some of you have been through incredible issues this year that you have no idea in the world why God was doing that. But let me ask you a question as you sit here today. As you look back on 2019, has God been faithful? Has God been faithful? Yes, he's been faithful. Trials, hardship, James would say, are not empty. The writer of Hebrews says, No chastening for the present seem to be joyous, but grievous. Never word afterwards it leadeth to the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised. James says, Trials and testing have purpose. Purpose is to produce perseverance. Some of my greatest hurts in life are those that have walked with me that once followed Christ. Mark, that didn't persevere, that fell by the way and fell into sin because something happened and it embittered their spirit. Someone of, of the faith hurt them and they became embittered. But James is saying these things have purpose. They produce perseverance, maturity, wisdom, wisdom which is full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. So good fruit many times comes through the refiner's fire, the strain of it all. We're living in an information world, and my favorite conversations during a day is, hello, Google. And I learned a lot of things. I woke up this morning and said, uh, okay, Google, who won uh, the Clemson game last night? And uh, so I got the information. Uh, I, I, I went to bed. I was too tired to watch the end of it. And we're information-driven. But yet in the midst of all the information and all the facts and on the flurry of things going around us, we are starved for wisdom. Where have all the wise people gone? There's voices in history. We need wisdom like never before. And James says, well, if you don't have it, you need to ask for it. When I was a young fellow starting out, Ministry, I was never the brightest bulb on the block. 
I was a C student and suffered through school and wanted to be an athlete and care less about uh, uh, advancing myself academically. But when I got into ministry, I learned one thing, and particularly for those that are moving into eldership, deacons, different things. It is imperative that you pray for wisdom. You need it, and you'll need it momentarily. And God will grant it if you will open yourself up to it. James further cautions to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How many of you admit to watching cable news? Put your hands up. Okay, yeah. I don't care what station you you listen to on cable news. Here we have people that are not necessarily listening to one another, and they react against one another, they talk over one another, and the final product is, I think we're going to have Saturday night the fights. They get angry at one another. And I, and, and I watch this stuff sometimes, and I think, wow, uh, there, there, there's no mediocrity, uh, there's no uh, uh, mediation, there's no listening. It's just, it's my way or the highway, quick to anger, where James calls for wisdom and good fruits and impartiality and mercy and sincerity. James further declares faith is to be demonstrated not just in words but in deeds. In deeds. Sometimes we think deeds are are grandiose things. They're really not. It's just uh, 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 I I pray for people when I pass them sometimes uh, on the highway that that, that are broken down or whatever On occasion, I'll stop, but looking for opportunities to be salt and light, to be the perfume of Christ during our life is very important. James next says, it is good you believe in God, but even the demons believe. I believe in God. I'm glad you believe in God. The demons believe, the devil, and he trembles at the very name of God. Vance Habner once said, old Southern preacher, a church can be straight as a gun barrel doctrinally, but just as empty spiritually. In James here, we want to answer a question, and that question is, what are constants amidst a changing culture? Things are changing at such an incredible rate. And change for the sake of change is not necessarily good. And the question is, what are our our holding points? What is our stability? What are our lighthouses in the midst of everything? William Bennett, some of you might have read his book on virtue. It's about that thick, but it's really good. William Bennett said, the most serious problems afflicting our society today are moral, behavioral, and spiritual and therefore are remarkably resistant to governmental cure. The government is not going to fix all that ails humanity. Some of the most fearful words people hear are, we're here from the government to help you. Uh Uh-huh. Secular man, by large today, when he looks at the church, and in the last 15 years I worked in the secular world as a corporate chaplain out amidst many different businesses and people all the way from welders up to executives. And I began to recognize that a lot of people see the church as irrelevant today. What has God ever done for me? 
Or I know that, that guy over there, on, see on lathe number one, he's a deacon in such and such a church. He's, he's having an affair on his wife. So they see the church as irrelevant and culturally irrelevant. And, and James is really pressing us to the reality uh, that we need to care for uh, those without clothing. We need to help people with their daily food we, we need to care for orphans and widows. We need to take our theology and translate it into good deeds. You say, well, I can't work my way to salvation. I'm not saying that. But a product of being changed by God should be demonstrating obedience out of love. I pastored a church in uh, southern Florida that was on Dixie Highway. And uh, all the transients would pour down, particularly during the winter. And I used to prejudge people that would knock on the door. You know, they're dirty. Sometimes they didn't smell well. Till I began to talk with these people and sit down and feed them. We would, we would feed them. I learned not to give them money because they'd go down to the bar next door. But I began to hear stories of people that were once executives in IBM. People from the military that come back and got lost somehow. Uh, people who had purpose and meaning in life that were now lost. And we're seeing more and more homelessness in certain areas of, uh, of our, our country today and people that are broken. I heard one uh, retired governor say they did an analysis of the prison system in their state and found out that 87% of people incarcerated were there because of drug or alcohol issues. Now, why do people get, how do people get in trouble with drugs and alcohol? You're trying to medicate people. You know, I saw it as I, I was out amongst people trying to medicate it, the pain away. And, and, and everything has to be allowed around them for, God forbid, that there be a silent moment and they listen to their inner thoughts. Christians, and, and I had to examine sometimes my motivation. Our motivation should always be out of love. Do you love your neighbor? I tolerate my neighbor. Am I motivated because God loves me and out of that love I can love others? Governments are ordained by God. What did, uh, what did Christ say? He said, render to, say it, Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. And God has established governments to maintain order within society. And we as Christians should be model citizens and we should follow the laws of the land except if they violate biblical principles. What do I put in the place of truth? And if I begin to violate in certain principles, that is a cascading effect. We must adhere to what we know to be truth. Governments are ordained by God, but they're ill-equipped to deal with soul sickness and the totality of a human being. People need ultimate change. James was a realist. He let us know it's not going to be comfortable. He lays out do's and don'ts. He says, don't show favoritism. The world is big on favoritism. Don't boast in your prideful plans. It's not enough to know good. You ought to do what is good. Okay. Amidst the shifting sands of culture, amidst the constant change, what 
are points of stability. Where can I anchor my soul in all of this change about me? The Word of God. The Word of God. Do you know how blessed we are to have this? I, I don't know how many times I've been through it. I'm going to look here. I'm in my 41st time through this year. I have just begun to grasp a little bit of this book. But not only grasping intellectually, but then translating and applying it in practical cases. How does this apply? 82% of Americans who read their Bible on a regular basis, 82% describe themselves as at peace. I uh, was in a conversation with a Jehovah Witness the other day. I don't avoid Jehovah Witnesses. I'd love to talk to Jehovah Witnesses. And her first question was to me, do you want to know how to find happiness? And I said, ma'am, I'm really not concerned about happiness. That's like birthday cake. It's a quick jolt and you're over with it. But let me tell you how I found peace. And I began to share about the peace that Christ has. I said, ma'am, it's not about being a Baptist or a Presbyterian or being a Jehovah Witness. It's about being a child of God and knowing that my sins are forgiven and that there's not a limitation of 144,000, but everyone who comes to Christ can have eternal life. Well, they didn't have much to say after that. They smiled and left. But they need to hear too. Everyone needs to hear. Everyone needs an opportunity to hear the gospel before Christ comes. Again, uh, and I'll admit a fault, I, I listen to too much news. I, I got in that habit of being a chaplain. I had to be informed about what was going on and talk on a number of different subjects with, with people. But I've got to tell you, sometimes as I watch uh, the news, what does the news do to you ultimately? We need to be informed. It begins to pull from you emotionally. Now, I don't know about you, but I've only got so much reserve in my emotional tank. And if I listen to too many talking heads too long, my tank can go low. Poor Melissa suffers through it. She'll walk through the room sometime and she just takes the deep sigh. Uh, and I go, oh, this is affecting her too. And I was in one of those funks of recent with everything going on. And, it's, you know, it's just, just a mess. And I, I needed something from the Lord. And uh, I was in Proverbs, and that day as my spirit was struggling, as I had put myself in a position to empty myself emotionally, the Lord brought me in my daily reading to this, Psalm 37. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads to evil. You know what that did for me, Will? That just gave my battery a charge. And I said, it is so true throughout history. It is the same. 
Nations come and nations go and powerful figures rise and powerful figures demise. But the kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom. The word of, word of God is a constant. Second of all, we must not deny the word of God. Oh, you say, Rick, 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 now you're really prying. Oh, I would not deny the word of God. Are you kidding me? Afraid a lightning bolt would come out of heaven. I believe the Bible is divine. It's inspired. It's informative for correction, instruction. Uh, it, it is a dynamic. But yet with the declaration of our fine theology, are we not selective in our obedience on occasion? It's not convenient. I seven commandments. That's a passing grade. I can three. I mean, give me a break. Selective obedience doesn't work. It produces consequences. My background in family and marital therapy, I would, I would talk with people on occasion, and, and particularly with women, and I'd say, well, I, I, just, I, I, you know, I, I just gotta have a man. And it was obvious that the person was not a follower of Christ, and I would try to be funny and say, get a parakeet, it's a lot less trouble, but I've got to. I say, no, you don't have to. God is sufficient. Don't say amen to this lady, but your husband is not God to you. <laughs> you can talk with me afterwards. I know there are a lot of thoughts going through your head. The word of God. And then second, there's the worship of God. Everyone, everyone worships something or someone. Everyone, even though they say they don't. Look at the time they spend, look at the checkbook, and you can get a determination of what is central in our lives. Worship also is not restricted to a certain place or a certain time. When the general public says we're going to worship, by large, what are they saying? They're going where? They're going to church. They're going to a service. And sometimes they can say that the service is the time that I worship God. Think about that for a minute. It's just not a, a place and a time. Corporate worship is essential. I'm a believer in corporate worship. But there are millions of Americans this morning that will go to a church and go to a worship service and will follow the liturgy and go out of that church just as spiritually empty and dead as when they came in because it becomes a ritual. Somehow, God will bless me if, if I just do this ritual. I'll, 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 I'll tolerate it. And uh, I know you have to tolerate preachers many times. It reminds me of the boy. And then the southern churches, I actually pastored a, a church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It was the old type of baptistic structure that they would have uh, the attendance up on the board. This was AEM attendance. This was, PM, this was Sunday school attendance. It was really big on numbers. So little boy one day uh, was just wondering about uh, all this and 
they were having a, actually a commemoration, and they were remembering veterans. But little boy, and and Granddad was trying to explain to him, and the little child says, "Well, did they die in the A.M. or P.M. service?" You know, it, it can be tough sometimes. But worship is not restricted to a place. Jack Hayford, author, pastor, wrote the uh, wonderful chorus, Majesty, said, There is no question in my mind that the truly worshiping church is the future of the church. The freedom to worship openly and expressively with substance, depth, and joy will become the hallmark of those who have grasped the truth about worship, the truth that frees, the dynamic that liberates others. I watched on TV of recent as a, a beautiful church in China, beautiful church where people came together to worship. They came in with cranes and they destroyed it. They just leveled it. And I said, Lord, they leveled the building, but the church lives. The church lives. There will be worshipers. Worship also takes our focus off of of self and puts it on the Heavenly Father. We've had some beautiful uh, sunsets of recent. God has privileged Melissa and I to live on a, a bluff overlooking Shoal Creek, and we looked to the west. And uh, was it Christmas Eve there was a beautiful sunset? Yeah. Some of you probably saw it coming in, uh, Perry. Um, the, other, the other night I, I was out, and it was one of the beautiful sunsets, and God's revelation was reflecting, and it was so beautiful, and I just got so blessed, I began to vocally praise the Lord. I know the neighbor said, that guy is drinking again, but I could not help myself but to say, glory to God, glory to God, Disney World, Paris, Eiffel Tower, nothing compares to God's creation and His glory being manifest in this general revelation. I used to ask employees that I ministered to, when was the last time you looked up into the sky? Do you know the vast majority of people in the workforce haven't looked in in the sky for years? They're looking down. They're not thinking about a grander purpose. The theme is, I, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. 75% of people in the workforce don't like what they do. They need to know that there is a higher purpose, that there is a God who is present. Uh, I'm a person of, of order. I like order. But... And we, and we plan worship. There needs to be preparation. There needs to be prayer. Um, uh, uh, our music here is worshipful. It's, it, it's wonderful. It's blended. It's, it's unusual. And we plan it. But would it not be all right for the Holy Spirit on a Sunday to change our structure for a few moments? I have been in on those occasions where there have been a praying people saying, Lord, we want more than normal. 
We want you to have liberty. We want you to show up. And this doesn't happen real regularly. There have been occasions in my life I've got up to preach, Mark, and I have my message before me, and the Lord just told me, I do not want you. I don't care how prepared, how many points you've got on it, how you've got the poem and the joke. This is what I want you to say today. I say, are you kidding me? I'm a firstborn child. I need to have structure. But I have watched the Holy Spirit show up. And it's a wonderful thing. And I've been in worship services, community worship services, where God has showed up and it was something unusual. The presence of God was palpable. Once experiencing these things, I long for the presence of God in such power to be revealed again. I'm not content for normality. Some of the most worshipful times, as I said, are times that I just observed God working. The third consistent stable ground is the wonder of God. When we meditate on the word, when we truly worship, when we pray, we glimpse the wonder of the Father. There are times that I've been in worship where it seemed that the veil of heaven, heaven and earth was rent. And, and that, that we were in that corporate worship were placed almost within the throne room. It's almost as if I could sense the angels singing and the celestial beings saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in some of those times, the safest place I found was on my face. Because it was so real and all the circumstances and all the issues and all that we go through are dissipated in the presence of God who has everything under control. The wonder of God is found in in prayer. Prayer is waiting on God. How many of you like to wait in line at Chick-fil-A? Always when I get to the bank and I'm in the drive-thru, I decide I'm going to be smart and go to the next lane. Don't do that. It never works. God is trying to teach me patience. Waiting is not easy. But let me tell you this. You might be waiting for that life's mate. You're so concerned. Am I going to be single all of my life? God's delay is not necessarily God's denial. I was in seminary, a single fella, and they were really getting worried about me. I served in a denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and they didn't like single ministers. They wanted a guy to be married. And I finally, I remember, Will, one time I said, Lord, I am lonely, but if you require of me singleness, I will be single for you. And Jeremy, I was really being honest. I didn't like the idea, but I was willing You know who God put in my life a short time later? This lady up here on the front row who has suffered through many of my sermons. It was just a willingness to say, Lord, you are first. You are central. What you require of me, I want to do. I might not like it, but I want to submit my plans to your ultimate divine orchestration and will. Waiting. Waiting. My, uh, my prayers have changed through the years, particularly last year and a half, you know, in 
former years, 43 years of ministry, being busy 24-7, God has put me in a waiting period here in the Shoals. But you know, it's been one of the most exciting times of my life because it has put me back to the first work of any Christian in any church. You know what the first work is? Prayer. Nothing. Nothing great comes outside of prayer. Praying figures. People that are desperate before God. Not too many years ago, uh, Keith, I, uh, I read in Scripture, uh, you remember Samuel when he was a little boy. Who was his mentor? You remember who Samuel's mentor was there? Was it Eli? Yeah, in, in the temple. And one night the little guy was uh, sleeping and he heard someone say, Samuel. I tried to use my Ten Commandment voice there, but that didn't work. Samuel. He probably, he probably said, Samuel. Samuel. He popped up, ran to Eli. Yes, I'm, I'm right here. Well, this happened a number of times until so finally Eli recognized it wasn't a day and time where they were getting many visions from the Lord or hearing from the Lord, but he recognized that the Lord was trying to speak to this young boy. And he said, when you go back, if you hear that again, you say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I think it's so dynamic. The voice came again. He didn't say, hey, you. He said, Samuel, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And God spoke. When I first did that a few times, I was scared to get God might answer me. I said, is it going to be like the Ten Commandments and and, and wow, this is, is this weird? I told the Lord, is this really weird? Well, it's in Scripture. And I would I do that not real often, occasionally. And you know what happens? Different things. Sometimes it's like a neon sign, a Scripture goes across my mind. And God is speaking to me through his word. Other times it's a, an unusual sense of peace. Because many times when I do that are times of, of darkness and, and times that I cannot see God, I cannot feel God, I'm not experiencing God. And God's peace will flood in to say, Rick, even in old age, I will sustain you. I will carry you. I will sustain you even until old age. After Christ's ascension, I think the disciples thought, well, this gig is over with. But they were so desperate and so lost not knowing what to do. There was 120 men and women, not culturally acceptable, in the upper room praying and waiting upon God. I imagine some of their prayers... You couldn't even put them into words. It was agonizing of the spirit. What are we going to do now? Oh, God, where, where are we going from here? And you'll remember thereafter there was a rushing wind and there was Pentecost and 3,000 people were born again. And then the work began of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. God doesn't always answer prayer in the time frame of the way we ask. 
How many of you are glad that God didn't answer all your prayers? Oh, man, I would be in real trouble. I wouldn't be married to this woman. I remember one time, you know, I, was, I went to a religious college, and you went to a religious college to get married. Uh, I figured out that after a while. Um, and uh, I thought I'd found this right person, just ideally. And I did the Russian roulette thing in Scripture. When you ever flip the Scripture and you put your finger down and it said Jesus went out and hanged himself, uh, don't follow that. But I, I did that. I was in one of those desperate modes. And it went to the Proverbs, and it, it, it said, Seek her, and she will be a garland under your head. And on and on and on and on it went. And I said, Hot dog! Go marry that girl from West Virginia who's toothless. No. Uh, you know what that, the context was? Get wisdom. Hey, Rick, wake up. Get wisdom. Well, finally, I began trying to fit the text into my will and began to recognize God was speaking in, a, in another way. Martin, joined, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I thank God that he is not prepared to do anything that I may chance to ask him. I am profoundly grateful to God that he did not grant me certain things for which I ask and that he shut certain doors in my face. At that time, I will... At that time, I did not understand, but now I am grateful to God for it. We're living in a challenging society. But these are the days where God does that wonderful work of refining and perseverance and the separation of the sheep and the goats. And this is where the call of the gospel is not gray, but it's a clarion call. I loved working in Billy Graham crusades, and sometimes I'd work as an echelon supervisor, and there really was nothing new or inventive about what he was saying, but behind what he said, there was a man who prayed and believed God for souls, and people would come by the hundreds and would come by the thousands. Oh, that God would grant us in this day and time a spiritual renewing before the coming. There will be challenges in this year. I don't know what the year will hold for you, but I want you to be encouraged in the constants. The Word of God does not change. You'll hear Rick say this in every message. Biblical principles are timeless. They're cultural. They're non-negotiable. What do you put in the place of truth? You put an error or a lie. Friendship with the world is really not to be had. We love the world. But the Word of God does not change for cultural relevance. The Word of God changes people so they can be change agents in culture. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And everyone needs that opportunity. The Word of God is true. The worship of God renews the soul. We recreate today. We need to recreate. But my dear friends, you will only find soul rest in the word and in worship. Your mate will not understand the depths of your heart, but God does, and God knows. Always think about the wonder of the Almighty. And remember that he loves us and has a plan and purpose for us.
James would want me to conclude with these words. 5.8. You too, be patient. Stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Listen for the hoofbeats of Armageddon. Listen in the news, the polarization. Listen to the news of the powers of the north and those moving against that small, insignificant nation of Israel. The love of many is waxing cold, but in the midst of all of this, the church has lived with the recognition of the eminence of the coming of Christ. There were days and times that I used to say, God, please don't send your son until I get through college. Don't send, send your son until I get married, until I have children, until I have grandchildren. God is not concerned with that plan in your life. When his purpose and time comes, he's going to lean over and say, son, it's time. And the skies will be rent and Christ will return. Not as the babe of Bethlehem, but the Lion of Judah, King of kings and Lord of lords. Glory to his name. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this people. Thank you for this place. You are doing an unusual thing here, Lord. Thank you for a shepherd that faithfully preaches the word of God. And God, thank you for people that work on the connect people. Will and music and sound and all these different people that blend together to make this a place where people can come and worship, a place where people can come and find you. Encourage us in these moments. May we take these truths with us. And all God's people said, Amen.